it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. And that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer. I'm Brews News Editor Matt Kirkegaard, and thanks to Cry Malt, this is Beer is a Conversation, our weekly sit-down with the people shaping the beer industry, and through these conversations, we dig a little deeper into the stories behind the business of beer and brewing. The Australian brewing landscape is evolving rapidly, and here we try and make sense of what is happening and better understand the issues and the people shaping the industry. This week, I chat via a crackly phone line with Alan Tilden from Umundi Brewing on Brisbane Sunshine Coast. I had been lucky to meet Alan a couple of times, starting with when Pete and I visited the Umundi Brewery for the podcast early last year. But it was late last year when I had the chance to brew a recreation of the original Hahn Pilsner with Chuck Hahn at Brisbane's Charming Squire that I really got the chance to have a chat with him. I should say that the reality was that I had a good chat with Chuck on the day, as Alan did most of the brewing work while Chuck and I carefully supervised, but I did get the chance to have a longer chat with Alan. I'm always fascinated at the pathways that lead people into brewing and what it is that fires their enthusiasm for the job, and Alan's path was fascinating, including nine years making rock candy that saw him become a master confectioner before discovering his passion for making beer, which was a path that I hadn't heard before. It's a great chat as always, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Alan Tilden, welcome to Beer is a Conversation. Thanks for having me. Oh, mate, now we were hoping to catch up and have, have this, you know, it's always best uh, done over a beer, but uh, this is being recorded during the COVID-19 situation. So uh, I, I guess I can't, we really don't want to go too much into it, but you know, how are you guys handling you know, up at your Monday uh, not being able to go into work? Um, yeah, it's a bit of a strange situation. I'm sure a lot of other brewers around are in the same sort of boat, but uh, majority of the stuff that we do out of Yamundi is uh, kegs of our pale ale. So with all the pubs closed, there's not a huge demand for kegs at the moment. So I'm uh, sitting at home at the moment uh, going through the stuff that usually gets missed on a day-to-day basis. So we're doing a lot of, uh, a lot of project work and a lot of time in front of the laptop, which I uh, if I'm going to be completely honest, isn't really my comfort zone. <laughs> Mate, so, so what is project work for a brewer? Because you, you sort of tend to think of brewers, you know, with the mash paddle in hand or a bag of uh, malt on their shoulder. What's project work? Because we have a, quite a few little breweries in our little group, so we're trying to make sure that we're all aligned with stuff that we use on a day-to-day basis. And uh, if anyone needs to move between breweries and stuff like that, it's all a, pretty much a standardised sort of a brewery network for us um so yeah just everyone gets together we try and work through all that there's always safety safety things to keep working on make sure that everything's good all the time at the brewery are you a home brewer or do do you get enough of that at at, at work not anymore no i did when i say i was a home brewer i reckon i've done about 10 15 home brews my whole life um as soon as i started brewing in a brewery i kind of stopped doing it pretty quickly so uh, yeah it's uh, one of those things to me it, it was just like going home to work on the weekends and uh that said i'd rather just go and buy buy some good beers and drink them at home right exactly so let's step back because i know that your path into brewing wasn't you know 
you, you hear a lot of stories of you know guys who get into homebrew and think, well, this is what I want to do for, for work. Or you know, a, a, another common path into you know brewing is somebody who does a bit of a biotech, um, and you know maybe their first job is in in the lab at at, at a brewery. But your, yours was a little bit different. Uh, have you always wanted to be a brewer? Uh, no. If you'd asked me when I finished uh, finished school if you th- I thought I'd be a brewer, I would have would have even crossed my mind. Um, I finished school, went to uni, studied um, biomedical science. Yeah, did that for four years, finished at the University of Technology in Sydney and then couldn't get a job. So applied for God knows how many graduate degrees. And what, what, what does biomedical um, science lead to normally? A lot of lab work and stuff like that. At the time, I'd done a lot of microbiology and things like that. So I was trying to get into the research labs or stuff like that at the time. But yeah, there was no one hiring and anyone who wanted to take you on was after a six-month internship, pretty much full-time unpaid. And uh, when, you're, when you're living in Sydney, um, yeah, living in Sydney trying to pay the rent, it doesn't really translate to a really good uh, job prospect at the time. So what, what work did you go into instead? Um, so at university, I did a bit of a stint working at the uh, Star Casino in Sydney, working in the valet office on permanent night shift. So I spent a lot of time reading the paper and looking after car keys. Uh, when I finished, when I finished <laughs> nice uni, use of your hex fees. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, just really good use of it. Um, once I finished uni, uh, my brother was uh, working at a candy making store, so making boiled rock candy and customised lollies for weddings and stuff. And they needed a uh, lolly maker or a confectioner. And I said, oh, well, I'll go do that for a couple of months while I find my feet now, finished uni, and I'll get a real job. And, um, yeah, nine years later, I was still there. <laughs> I was By then, I pretty much gained the rank of master confectioner. And I just sat down one day and I thought, I need a change. I need to do something different. So it was a bit of a sit down and jumped on the internet and had a look around. And I was like, what do I enjoy? And I enjoyed having a beer with my mates after work. At that stage, I, I think I'd done one stovetop homebrew and uh, just like, oh, this could be a bit of fun. Maybe there's maybe there's a job in this. So went um, back to uni and ended up at the University of Ballarat, studied a graduate certificate down there. And, yeah, did that for two years, two and a half years, and then got my first gig in brewing, uh, cleaning pegs and scrubbing floors at Sydney Brewery uh, underneath the Macquarie Hotel in Sydney. So who was brewing there at that stage? When I started, um, Michael Capaldo was the head brewer, and I was working with Andrew Moore. Okay, so yeah, when when you studied, were you, you were still working as a confectioner, and it was external studies. Yeah, so it was all done via correspondence. So I was living in Sydney, um, doing well, I think it was one or two nights a week where we'd have like a conference call and a lot of just remote assessment work. We did one week on site down in Ballarat, which was probably my the first time I'd actually brewed all grain on a on a real brewery so as soon as i did that i was like yeah this is for me i really really enjoyed every part of that course i took a lot out of it um when i first started the course though not working in the industry a lot of it was really really alien to me so i found the study at the start quite difficult um about halfway through the course is when i started at the um sydney brewery and then as soon as i started working in the industry it all just kind of clicked so it made the, the second part of the degree, uh, the certificate quite quite a bit easier. Just before we get, get into the, the, the brewing side of it, talk to yep. me about making confectionery. Because I've got <laughs> images of, you know, um, confectionery as opposed to chocolates, for example. So, so there's yep. a lot of sugar. And there would be a fair amount of um, science and you know, Maillard reaction and cooking temperatures and those sorts of things. Yeah. Am yeah. Right? So... 
Yeah, yeah, 100%. So it's all very, very um, temperature-based when you're making candy. If you cook it too much, it burns. And like you say, with a mild reaction, you end up with something that looks more like toffee and it won't set properly. It stays soft. It gets very sticky and you can't work with it. If you don't cook it enough, it has a tendency to almost crystallise and turn back into a, um, a crystalline structure or it won't harden properly again. Um, and, yeah, it's just a lot of yeah, a lot of temperature control, a lot of time standing over a modified barbecue in the middle of summer in a, in a room in <laughs> no, front of hundreds like of people. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I was used to the heat. Um, yeah, so we used to do it um, at Sticky in the Rocks, and we had a few shops around Sydney for a time there. We had shops in Chatswood and Bondi Junction, so I travelled around all of those. But, yeah, working in front of crowds of anywhere from five people to 100 people just standing there watching you work every day. So it was it was pretty good. It was Nice to get that sort of just always being in front of people, always having a chat with people, just being able to talk rubbish pretty much. And it was a very, very fun job. And it's one of those ones I look back at now going, I was very lucky to have that job. And uh, my brother and myself, we both did nine years. I think he did about nine and a half. So, yeah, we always look back on it over a beer every now and then and just have a laugh about some of the stuff we used to get up to. Was there much from your biomedical studies that came in handy during that or was it just a complete step out of, of, of what was, you studied? Was, pretty much it was a, yeah it wasn't really a step it was more of a leap sideways okay. um, <laughs> there was very little science being used in that it was quite funny though it was a lot of the people who worked there the owner of the business used to be a lawyer he gave up doing that to become a confectioner I was a qualified scientist working as a confectioner <laughs> it was just a really it was just one of those random jobs that you kind of fall into was meant to be there for a couple of months, and yeah, nine years later, I was still there. Did you find that background, you know, about the, just sort of the, the the temperatures and things, useful when you stepped into learning about brewing? A little bit, yeah. For me, a lot of the stuff I took out of it once I got into the world of brewing was um just about what flavor, like flavors, and how flavors work together, and like how because when you're working with candy, it's dealing with 100% sugar, so. It's just like going and getting a spoonful of sugar and eating it. So it's about how how you can work with something that's sweet to make it taste differently, but then not trying to make something that's completely overpowering or just like you can't eat a lot of it. And granted, you can't really eat a lot of candy. I've tried over the years and I still don't really – to this day, I still don't really have a sweet tooth. Um, yeah, so it's one of those things. I mean, it's hard to say what I did take out of it. I think the main thing I took out of it over the years of brewing is – being able to talk to people and just being able to sit down and have a chat with anyone about a beer, be it at the pub, be it at a beer festival, doing anything like that. I think that's what I mostly took from that job. You're obviously studying but not absolutely committed to brewing at that stage. It was just – is that a right way to put it? Yeah, I think I saw. I think I really wanted to get into the industry. That's the reason I went back to uni to study it. So I thought, you know what, I'll just wait till I've finished and then I'll start applying for jobs. Um, I was walking through – the city down from Central Station, if anyone knows the area. And I was walking past and I saw the sign for the Sydney Brewery, uh, the brewery downstairs underneath the Macquarie Hotel. Didn't even know it was there. So I was with a mate and was like, oh, we'll go in there and have a beer. Right? We'll go have a look around. And, yeah, just got chatting. So it happened that Michael started. We uh, just chatted for a little while about what was going on. I just t- told him about I was starting to do the course and I was about, well, I think it was about one semester in. And he was like, oh, okay, cool, no worries. Gave him my number, and I think it was a week later. I just got a phone call back saying, "Hey, mate, you want to come in, come in and uh, clean some kegs and start working in the brewery one or two days a week." So I was still working in the lolly shop, doing two days a week at the brewery as well. So it was just one of those really opportunistic sort of things. I got in there, 
And yeah, it was, if I hadn't seen that sign, probably never would have walked in and who knows where I would have ended up. So what was it about when you did that first all grain brew and you sort of decided that this is what I want to do? What was it about that that convinced you? I just, for me, it's, all brewing for me is it's just the creativity part of it. Like you're working with raw materials, you're mixing them all together, and then it's a finished product that a lot of people enjoy. So it's still making something with your hands, which I love, and it's really nice to be able to see, other, give it to someone else and say, here, try this, I've made this, what do you think? Even if it, like everyone, I've yet to find people who come up and say straight out, no, I don't like that. Most of the time they'll just be like, I don't like beer. But for me, yeah, it's just one of those things. It's doing something with your hands. It's not. It's good physical work. It's good fun. It's a good always working around with a good bunch of guys and girls in the industry as well. And I think a lot of people are in it for the same reason. Starting your first job at uh, Sydney Brewery, yep. what, what what did you learn there? You know, cleaning kegs um, <laughs> yeah, is, is probably ninety percent. You know, cleaning is I, I hear ninety percent of brewing. But uh, yep. what what did you learn in that role? Started off as the assistant brewer and just general dog's body around the brewery. So I spent a lot of time just cleaning kegs over and over and over again. Um, a lot of just racking off tanks. Um, I did get the odd brew day here and there at the start, which was awesome. Really just seeing how how breweries worked. And on a scale like that, that was a little 800-litre Firkin brewery down there, which is amazing because in my job I've got now, I look after the Charming Squire. And when I walked in there, I saw, oh, this, this brewery looked quite familiar. Still pretty much the same as the one I learned, like learned to brew on five, six, seven years before. Um, it was just, it, it was a very manual brewery. So you got an idea of the whole process and um, yeah, everything like that. It wasn't like walking into um, a heavily automated brewery. So you, you actually, er- you earned every step of the process and it made you think about it every time before you did it. So I took a lot out of it in the, in my brewing career out of that, knowing, that, yeah, I have worked on a very, very manual system where one mistake could mean you're going down the drain. It would have been an interesting brewery to start at as well because, you know, some of the big hop-driven beers you know, have inspired brewers and have really kick-started the craft beer uh, movement. But Michael is just one of the great lager brewers in the country. Yeah, no, it was, it was amazing working under Michael. Like Some of the beers that we made there back then, it was... Um, they had a lot of awards and a lot of medals throughout the years before I started there. Um, and the Pado Pale, the Darlow Dark, the Potts Point Porter. Now, it was just a, a really good place to work. And we did such a good, varied range of beers as well. But yeah, the Pilsners and every, the Pilsner and the um, Lagers were always at the forefront. He uh, didn't convince you uh, in, in the sort of art of wearing a cape? No, no, <laughs> I never, never, got into the, never got into the cape wearing. <laughs> he's a he's a great character, Michael, isn't he? Well, mate, he's um yeah, larger than life. I still speak to him quite often now, even when he's working with HPA. But yeah, caught up for a coffee with him a few weeks ago, and yeah, it was just like old times. Just sit down, have a coffee, have a chat, have a laugh. Always good for it. So, how long were you at Sydney Brewery? Um, I was at Sydney Brewery for about three years, I think three and a half years. Um, I was there when we were at the Macquarie Hotel. Um, I got put on full time after I was there for probably about. A year and a half, I think it was, and then I was put on as a full-time brewer. So I left the lolly shop and I was purely working in brewing. Then um, we took the brewery out of the pub, and then they were operating, uh, still operating cidery down uh, Ridges, World Square, and they started another brewery in Lovedale up on in the Hunter Valley. So I did a bit of time up there as well, travelling between Sydney and the Hunter. And um, in the end, that was that was why I ended up leaving. If I could have stayed with them, I would have. 
but it was yeah, it was a lot of travelling and a lot of back and forth between Sydney and the Hunter Valley. Um, but yeah, it was good fun up there in the Hunter for the six months or so I did up there. So where did you move to? So I left Sydney Brewery and then I was in between brewing jobs. So I ended up going and doing a stint for a year manufacturing baker's yeast. So I was just online looking around what's available in the world of brewing and I saw a job come up for a brewer and separator. And I thought, oh, still brewing? This will be interesting. I wonder what that is. Turns out it was in an industrial state out at Camellia behind Rose Hill Racecourse. Okay. And, yeah, manufacturing, um, yeah, liquid and compressed yeast for the baking industry. So I did that for a year. And to be honest, it was probably it would have been the worst job I've ever had, I reckon. <laughs> what um, is that? Oh, the smell. Uh, it was 24-hour shift work. Um, I was the youngest person in the plant by probably 40 years. Everyone else had been there since they started their working career and were pretty well due to retire. So it was one of those jobs where you walk into and everyone was very, very set in their ways. Let's just put it that way. But it was <laughs> it was a big eye-opener for me of working at a, like a huge-scale production of anything, I think. Um, for anyone who hasn't done it, you you do take a lot in of all the processes in place that work. And, yeah, I took a lot of that stuff on board at the time, just how to manage huge, huge production volumes. Did that draw on your biomedical um, training? Yeah, would, a bit more. I, I think it did a bit more than um, I would have when I first started brewing. Um, it was a lot more a lot of, a lot of more chemistry involved and stuff like that. I'm no, in no way good at chemistry. It is my most loathed subject in general, and I kind of managed to fall into a, kind of a world where <laughs> I need to use it quite a bit. But, um, I, I choose my battles wisely. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, working in the yeast plant was was interesting. So it was a lot of um, using uh, what are they, uh, gas chromatography and stuff like that, continuously measuring alcohol in the yeast while it's growing to make sure that it grows properly. And yeah, it was just it was a really weird sort of world to get into. And I never knew that that sort of thing exists. I knew that it obviously came from somewhere, but didn't realise that it was growing in a huge fermenter. And uh, I think it was eighty thousand, hundred thousand litre batches that we'd turn over every 13 hours starting from a tiny bit of yeast in the bottom and then just growing yeast so i did that for a year i had a chat with dave uh, mullins from tiny mountain a couple of weeks ago and one of the things that really stuck with me from that chat was he talked about having your toolbox and that everything that you do adds a tool to your toolbox that you've got there it's you know it, it sounds like it probably wasn't the most rewarding job but did it give you some tools to put in the toolbox that you now oh. uh, use now Absolutely, absolutely. So I, um, yeah, finishing up there, the site that we worked at was pretty heavily um, geared towards lean manufacturing and manufacturing excellence. So MEX pro- um, processes were in place. Uh, when I moved on from there, I ended up at the Malt Shovel Brewery and, yeah, it was another random one where my name went across the hiring desk and one of the guys sitting there doing the interviewing knew Michael Capaldo, gave him a call and, yeah, the rest is history. Okay. So. Yeah, it was just one of those things. It was uh, cool. The job, the first job I had to help me get my third one in brewing. Um, <laughs> it was great. But, yeah, a lot of that sort of stuff. So once I went to Malt Shovel, that was great because a lot of the mech stuff was obviously implemented as being part of the big Lion group. So it wasn't something that was really foreign to me. Obviously, the systems were all different, but I'd, I'd had experience with it before, so I think it helped me kind of get used to it a bit quicker than I think someone coming directly from a small brewery into something that has a lot more of those sort of processes in place. It might be a bit more, a bit daunting. 
if you know what I mean. Yeah, but did it give you an understanding of yeast and that that you know, is obviously integral to the brewing process as well? Did when you're in yeast production, did that teach you about yeast? You know, herding for for brewing. Um, not really, because growing baker's yeast. So when you're using uh, yeast for brewing, it's all the um, anaerobic, so no air in the solution, which is why we're getting the alcohol production, which is what we're mostly after. Um, in the world of growing baking yeast, it's all done aerobically, so it's continuously aerated. It doesn't really – you just want maximum amount of growth. It doesn't. You're not really after any of the byproducts apart from just the yeast. So I did learn a lot about how yeast grows and everything like that. So we do use a little – I did use a little bit, I guess, when we're propagating up new batches and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, so it's two completely different processes, like, yeah, in the world of brewing than it is to manufacturing it for baking. So you jumped. It, it sounds like it wasn't a particularly rewarding job. And, and so, <laughs> so, so you were looking for the next thing and then were, were applying yeah. around? Yeah, so I applied around to a few different breweries with no success. And then, yeah, when I first started at um, Sydney Brewery, I remember having a chat with um, Andrew when I was working there and, he couldn't speak highly enough of the guys at Malt Shovel at the time. And at, at that stage, it wasn't really anything on my radar, but getting talking with him and they're like, oh, it's such a good group of guys. And everyone, it's just a really good point to get into because it's still crafty. It's still making good beers, but it's owned by a big company. So you get, it's one of those things. And that just stuck in my mind somewhere. And as soon as I started dropping up, I was like, yeah, I reckon I, I reckon I could fit in there. I reckon that'd be great great job and great experience and hopefully a good stepping stone to something bigger and better. So when I saw the job come up, I applied for it, got it, and yeah, the, the rest is history. Still working with um, still working with Lion now up in Yamundi. And um, yeah, the time I spent down at Malt Shovel made some really, really good friends down there when I was there for two and a half years and learnt so much. So moving from a small brewery like Sydney to, uh, you know, it's not as if Camperdown, the James Squire or the Malt Shovel Brewery at Camperdown is huge, but I guess you do have that process-driven environment that comes with being with a big organisation. Was it a hard adjustment or did you, and, and what did you learn from stepping into it? Yeah, going um, from the yeast plant into the brewery had kind of prepared me for a lot of the process and a lot of the everything was done a certain way, whereas in small breweries, I think you needed to be a lot more agile, a tiny little brewery, like a little 800-litre brewery. You might be brewing, you might be filtering, you might have to get a tank CIP ready to go into all at the same time where... At the at Ultra when I first started there, everything was a lot. It was a lot more planned out. You had more stuff, like more guys working together. Everyone knew their job and everyone did it well. And everyone was yeah more than happy to help. And it was a it was a big learning curve when I first got there, but yeah, took a lot out of that job too. Again, when when I was speaking to to Dave, one of the things that he said was when you're coming from a a process minded organisation. You know, he, he wants to make a sour beer that maybe has Davidson plum or finger limes in it. You don't just rock up to your local um, farmer's market and grab a bag of them and throw them in. You know, they're, they're, because there is that um, notion of quality that, that, that comes with, you know, a quality-driven, um, and that, that's quality in the absolute terms, not in the um, sort of more sensory term. But yep. you know, I, I guess that is a valuable lesson when you are looking at reproducing and doing things consistently well. Oh, 100%. So over the years, we've done a lot. I've brewed quite a few random beers with some strange and weird, wonderful ingredients. Um, one of the first beers that I did from the development of the recipe up to being released was um, a Jaffa Porter. 
So did a bit of learning through that. Tried dried dried orange peel, which on our little mini kit managed to block up heat exchanges and pumps. I tried um, using fresh orange zest, which gave you a huge amount of huge amount of punch and bang for your buck, and it tasted amazing. But then when we extrapolated the numbers out, it would require us to do probably I think it was five or six hundred kilos worth of oranges <laughs> zested just to get a base, just to get the bottom amount that we'd need for a scale size brew. So there's always things like that, and even since we've um, been up at Yamundi, we do a bit of stuff with fruit up here. So we're lucky that a lot of fruit is growing up on the Sunshine Coast where I am now and up further north towards Bundy and even further again. So there are plants up here that are processing fresh purees from locally sourced fruits and things like that. And they've all been pasteurized, so we don't have the bug risk if we add them and stuff like that. But yeah, that's it's been a big learning and it's been it's a lot of fun. That's the part of the world of brewing that I love the most is experimenting and coming up with new beers and, yeah, just seeing how it turns out. You, you moved from Sydney up to, to, to Yamundi. Was that um, to open and commission the, the, the brewery or did you move up after Chris had gone up and... Um, so when I moved up here, Chris had been up here for about, I think, about two months, two and a half months. Um, I moved up to the end of the install. So when I moved up here, the brewery store was not running. So I was here for the commissioning, which was amazing. Um, I don't know a lot of guys who get the opportunity to jump in and then commission a brewery like brand spanking new brewery and just work through everything like that it was a lot of fun learned a lot out of it and um, yeah that's sort of experience that is very hard to come by so i'm pretty grateful that i got that um and it's made running the brewery all that much more that much easier over the last few years because if something does go wrong something stops working you've been there you know how it works because you had to start it up at the beginning and what's it like stepping out? Of, I, I guess you've got the, um, I mean, there's mothership or the, you know, the, for for the malt shovel brewers, uh, Camperdown is kind of like the, the 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 home, and then stepping out to a small little brewery that is part of the community. Um, how yeah, how does it feel to go back to a to a smallish little uh, brew house? Yeah, I actually really like. I, I loved it. It was it was kind of like going back to your roots. It's a lot yet again going back from a, a big automated sort of brewery and mulch was still pretty manual when I was there. A lot of the main processes had been automated, but then going back to a pretty much completely manual brewery, it was kind of like getting back to re- like your brewing roots going, okay, cool. No, if you need to earn everything you do, you need to check everything three times to make sure that, yep, that's going to go where I want it to go. And being part of the community in Yamundi is, it is a small town and it's almost like the brewery is the heart of the town if it's some respect. So, Every Friday afternoon, you've got all the all the regulars that come in, stick their head past, have a wave. You go and have a beer with them after you finish up for the week and have a chat. So it is it is really nice. It kind of it makes you feel good at the end of the day. You're like, cool, everyone's enjoying something that we make and all the people around in your Monday are very proud of the beer we make, I think, which is good. So, it's yeah, it may, it's a really nice feeling at the end of the day. You know, you, your work's being appreciated by someone and you can see, see them sitting at the bar ordering it and drinking away and, yeah, really liking it. The, the Chris we were referring to there is obviously uh, Chris Sheehan, who uh, we've spoken to on the podcast before. And, and working up in Yumundi, how much freedom do you guys have to say, well, next month we want to have you know X number of kegs of you know a seasonal beer, this is what we're going to make? Is it just you and Chris uh, sort of getting your heads together and working out what you want to do and how you're going to make it? Yeah, so we do all of our recipe development. That said, if we want to try something new, weird and wonderful we'll um we'll put the feelers out to the other guys within the little other little breweries around so like dave up at townsville we've got um andy skate over in perth at bevy 
got a Udo Vandiver over in um, New Zealand as well. So we'll put the fields out, Alistair down in Byron, and go, has anyone tried this before? Has anyone used these weird and wonderful ingredients? And just see if anyone's had any experience with it, just to give us a bit more knowledge before we start going. But in the case where no one's done anything before, yeah, we just put the recipe together and uh, have a crack. And how do you come up with the ideas? So, so what's the process? Do you sort of, uh, spend a lot of money at your local bottle shop and see what's going on? I know Chuck spends a lot of time over in the US and comes back uh, with with a lot of enthusiastic ideas for things that he's seen over there. Oh, mate. You've always got to listen to Chuck. Um, <laughs> got to listen to Chuck. No, but, uh, yeah, we um, yeah, just try and find other examples in the market of certain styles if we're, that's what we're looking to make. And, yeah, sit down and have those ideas together, talk about it. Throw out, throw, throw ideas out there, and then just yeah, work through, work through recipes. What we've done in the past, a lot of it does come back onto drawing experience from stuff that you've done before. Even if it may not be exactly the same style, you might have a good idea of like, okay, I've used that hop before. If you use too much of it, it doesn't, it doesn't really come out the way you want. So we've really got to make sure we don't overdo that. Um, knowing all like what yeasts you want to use. If you want to do something crazy, I, I quite enjoy brewing the odd Belgian beer, which I get a chance to do at the Charming Squire, but and things like that. It's just, well, it's for me, it's yeah, sitting down, working together, going through all the recipes and, um, yeah, just coming up with a solid plan to begin with instead of just kind of going all off the cuff. And, and where do you see beer going at the moment? I guess one of the things, as I've watched craft beer evolve, you know, craft beer would become largely same you know the 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 differences between a a a dry beer at one end of the market and a mainstream traditional lager um you know isn't huge in 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 a technical way and then Mm. craft beer seem to be inspired by the discovery of you know some fairly you know aggressive hop characters and there was a race for that and we seem to be in this really interesting situation now where the, the market is fragmented and you do have things like you know, novelty uh, beers like uh, pastry stouts and then you've got sour beers that are some brewers are making a traditional Berliner Weiss and some people are making, you know, highly fruited um, you know, variations of it. Where, where do you guys sit? How, how, how much do you want to push um, the, the boat out and how much do you, you know, just sort of want to make really traditional styles? You know, what, what's the balance for you guys? Well, for us, we've got our lager, which is a traditional very traditional, straight down the line lager. Um, we've got our pale ale, our mid-strength pale ale. But our seasonal brews that we do, we're trying to um, engage local, other local suppliers or using local produce and stuff like that in our beer. So that gives us a chance to experiment and do something crazy. So we uh, just before um, we finished up with the COVID um, shutdown, we started doing, we did a uh, awesome spice sale with local grown turmeric and local honey in it and things like that. So for us, that gives us a chance to experiment and um, yeah, just try something completely left field to do. But for me, I, it's like you say, sour beer has gone crazy. It seems like fruit beer is going crazy. It's like the IPA, what, three, four years ago, it was everything was make it as hoppy as you can. And now it's, okay, make it as crazy as you can, like <laughs> sours everywhere. And I, I'm a big fan of that. Talk to me about turmeric. I mean, I don't like turmeric in my coffee, but, uh, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was an interesting one. I was, um, my, me and Aristotle and Brill were lucky enough to sit there and peel, I think it was four or five kilos of turmeric. And, yeah, I, I didn't realise What colour were your how... fingers after that? 
Yeah, I think you can imagine they're a beautiful shade of like iridescent orange, yellow, <laughs> along with along with all the clothes I was wearing, the floor, everything was just orange. And at the time when we bought the turmeric, we're like, oh, I don't know, it's a pretty decent volume. I don't think we'll have enough. And then by the time we'd finished that, I was like, oh, somebody, we got way too much. But in the finished beer, it was a really, it was actually a really nice, just like nice subtle yellow. It wasn't. Uh, it didn't glow in the dark or anything like that, which I was a bit worried about when we first added it. But yeah, it was. It was good. It was nice to get that sort of something you just would never, never have tried before, and just to see how it turned out. And it turned out quite well. Quite a nice sessionable beer. The flavour at the end wasn't overpowering, but it was definitely got that earthiness and a little bit of spiciness from it at the um on the palate and a little bit on the nose. Okay, but it's it's not likely to uh, scale up down at Lidcombe at any stage soon. No, I wouldn't say so, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, but then you've also got, because the, the last time um, Pete and I were up and we visited with Chris and we tried the ginger beer that was a, you know, a tra- traditional beer with a little bit of a ginger infusion. And, you know, it, it's, I, I have to admit that it's not my uh, cup of tea, you know, some of the fruited beers, but it was one that was really nice. So I, I do like ginger and having the beer with that ginger base. Um, and and then we heard recently a correspondent to the to the podcast said that they had the Umundi ginger beer at their local, and it was so much more expensive. And we were surprised that it was actually much more of a traditional ginger beer that was taxed at an RTD thing. They mm. must be some interesting, um, you know, balances where you've got a lovely product that just doesn't take with the market, and you end up having to sort of put out something that you. Yeah, probably didn't really want to make, but just is, is is appealing to that audience. I think it's just about for everyone in brewing. I think it's just about being as agile as you possibly can. Um, the, that was what the, that's what the people uh, people were crying out for. So that's what we made. Um, the ginger infused paler that you were talking about that you and Pete tried when you came up to visit in your Monday. I get asked probably five times a day, "When are you making it again? When are you making it again?" <laughs> I love that beer. Make more of it. Make more of it. I personally. Take it or leave it for me. I, I'll, I'll drink a schooner of it and that'd probably do me. But um, it's, yeah, it's one of those things. I think it comes back to what we were talking about earlier about the people around your Monday just being so proud of the local brewery that that's like a lot of people there. It's like, oh, I love that beer. I love that beer. You need to make that again. That's my favorite beer. Like, okay, cool. That's good. It's really nice to see. And now with the, um, the ginger beer as well, everyone's loving that. And like you say, it is um, sold as an RTD. Because it's um, not a traditionally brewed beer like the ginger infused pale ale. As you look at breweries around the country over an extended period of time, they you know you see a lot of brewers that come out and they sort of say, "I'm going to make the beer that you know makes me excited." But then it's often not the one that is their breakout or the one they become known for, and they'll sort of make something else, and suddenly people just find it and it becomes their flagship. Mm. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, like when I first decided I'm gonna, I want to start working in brewing. I had a chat with my father, who is a teetotaler, and never drank in his life. And the only piece of advice he gave to me, he said, if you start brewing beer that you enjoy drinking, you'll probably never sell any of it. So you've got to make beer that everyone will enjoy. And it's something that I've taken on board a lot of times when I'm when we're coming up with recipes and stuff like that. It's you've sometimes got to step away from the stuff that you personally love. So I like big Belgian-style beers, but I could make a batch of it and it'll sit there for six months. Whereas if you make a good, refreshing, solid lager, everyone like, everyone will enjoy it. It'll, it might not be everyone's favourite beer, 
but a lot of people, no one will not like it, if that's the right way to put it. You're going to get a lot of people who go, I can sit there and drink that. I quite, I quite enjoy it. It's not my favourite style, but it's clean. It's easy to drink and stuff like that. So that's one thing I try and take, uh, unless we're doing something completely crazy, like beers for gabs and stuff like that, where you've just got to let it just go as crazy as you want, which is, that's good fun. But if you're wanting to sell a lot of, like sell beer and have a lot of people enjoy your beer, I think you've got to sometimes take a step back from what you personally might enjoy making a lot of to what people want, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it does. So, but, so I'm, I'm intrigued, though, about if your dad was a teetotaler, where did he um, come up with that little pearl of wisdom? Oh, he came from a family of drinkers. Um, oh, right. he, uh, yeah, we grew, like, I grew up in um, southern, uh, southern Highlands in New South Wales, and he grew up in central western New South Wales. So around shearing sheds and stuff like that, and yeah. So he's, I think for him, where he anticipates he sees is the guy who'd sit at the pub every afternoon and have twenty schooners, or going to another horse horse stud or something, and Christmas parties, and everyone just sits around and they're all just always drinking the same sort of beer. So it was like to his new or crownies or whatever it was at the time. So he goes, oh, you got to make beer for the workers because they're the ones who are going to drink the most. <laughs> <laughs> and. Which is, yeah. Did he have any other insights for you? Uh... Um, not really. I wouldn't. I don't think. Um, he's a yeah. My dad's a he's a blacksmith and farrier by trade. So he, uh, I think, from a young age, me and my brother have both had a pretty had to have a pretty strong work ethic instilled in us. So if you're going to do something, you do it properly, and you do what you say you're going to do, which is something that I've taken to every job I've had been making lollies, making beer, making baker's yeast. So that's one of the things I kind of pride myself on. So, in a companies like like Lion, I guess there's there's a lot of career paths for you to go. Do you have a a, a vision for you know? Do, do you want to stay uh, you know as a head brewer in a, a small little brewery, or you know, would the challenges of brewing at one of the the the, the bigger facilities like Lidcombe um, hold it hold an appeal for you? At the moment, I'm just taking it all as it comes and just yeah, just seeing where it all takes me. I in an ideal world, I would I'd love nothing more than to have my own little little microbrewery and just keep doing what I'm doing but that might that may not happen and uh, yeah I'm just uh just kind of roll with it and as long as I'm making beer I'm happy do you think you'd want it because it, it, it is one of the things that strikes me whenever you get the tour of, of the big uh, breweries you see all of the brewers are employed and you've got you know your, your your packaging brewer you've got your production brewer you've got you know the the, the yeast manager um <laughs> you, you know but when you sort of step into the the Sydney brewery you've got the assistant brewer who was in charge of basically all of the cleaning and the kegs and you know, maybe, <laughs> and, and lugging heavy things around, and the head brewer does everything, um, you know. And once once you start getting specialised, are there any areas that you've found from your, your, your background in you know, medical biology to uh, confectionery making to to yeast uh, growing? <laughs> that, that any elements you sort of think, well, that's the part of brewing that really fires my imagination. For me, the one part of brewing that if I had the, if I could do it, nothing but uh, recipe development, new products, stuff like that. That's what really, that's what excites me about beer. For me, sitting down and coming up with a new recipe, brewing it, seeing how it turns out, and then mod- and then going back to the drawing board and going, I don't like how that works. Let's let's change this up. Let's do that. And uh, that's that's what really excites me about brewing. And that's yeah, that's the thing. If I had the choice and that was all I had to do, that's what I would do. Um, working back at Malt Shovel, it was good. We had the, the mini kit there, so every chance I got, I'd be down on that. And the first chance I got to learn from other brewers working on it, I'd just hang around after my shift and just have to watch and just be trying to learn as much about it as I could because it was a part of brewing that I'd never really had a lot of experience with at the time. 
So, yeah, I just tried to take as much knowledge from people who I was working around, talking to guys like Rob Freshwater, um, Chuck, of course, Chris, anyone. It's just You've just got to be pretty much a knowledge sponge at that sort of stage and just take every every skerrick of it that you can get. We'd got a, you know, an unknown period of time left uh, for, for, for lockdowns and before the Monday uh, pub can open. And uh, I guess you won't get back to brewing in earnest until that happens. But do you know at this stage what your first beer will be, that you, the, the first beer in the tank will be after you uh, get back to the daily slog of brewing? I reckon it'll be a Yamundi lager and a Yamundi pale ale, <laughs> one after the other. <laughs> and, and you're not planning any seasonals? I guess you don't know at this stage what the season will be. Yeah, well, that's right. So we'll, we'll wait till we get a bit closer and a bit more of an idea of uh, when we're going to be opening up again before we come out with those. But we, we do have our, our plan. It'll just be a matter of when we start up again as to what we'll actually be making. And in the meantime, uh, hopefully you're getting out enough to uh, be doing a little bit of research. Mate, there's always time for research, Matt. <laughs> Well, Ellen, thank you very much for joining us for this conversation and, and, and all the best. And, yeah, hopefully next time we, we, we catch up, it won't be over the phone. It'll be uh, with beer in hand. Absolutely, Matt. Thank you very much. And that was Alan Tilden. Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Crymalt. With over 25 years in the field... Crymalt are dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. Your premium brewing partner and proud sponsors of Beer is a Conversation. Don't forget, if you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show, either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You can find details in the show notes. You can review our podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show. Finally, you can tell us directly what you think by sending an email to producer at brewsnews.com.au.